This is a National Arts Center podcast. Welcome to this episode of the National Arts Centre NACOcast series. My name is Sean Rice and I am the second clarinetist with the National Arts Centre Orchestra. This week, the Toronto Symphony Orchestra is visiting the National Arts Centre to perform Mozart's Piano Concerto No. 12 and Bruckner's Eighth Symphony. Leading the TSO in their performance this evening is, of course, Maestro Peter Ungin, and he's been kind enough to take time in his busy schedule to talk to us today about his perspectives on music and his career. Welcome. Thank you, Sean. So, Bruckner 8. I was, we were just talking before we started recording, and this is absolutely my favorite Bruckner symphony, so I would love to know what your thoughts are on the symphony and what and what was your inspiration to program it in this season? Because this is this is your last season with the TSO. That's my last so, few weeks, actually. Really? Yeah, so I mean, a, end of June and I'm uh, I'm done. Yes. Okay, so it's a celebration <laughs> year then in that regard. It really is. With, so, with your you know, I mean, I've done a lot of really phenomenal symphonies this year because okay. it was you know, last year I'm, I still have yet to do Brahms 1, Mahler 9 and uh, and Beethoven this 9. Yeah, the, oh yeah there's a sort of three-week celebration. Mahler 9, Beethoven 9 and yeah. Brahms 1. Yep. Okay. Yep. So, a light load. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, well, it's funny because we, you know, we were just talking, and Sean, for all of you to know, happened to do his dissertation, his no, thesis. What, no, 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 a research paper. A research yeah, paper. Yeah. Oh, well, that's as far as I'm concerned, that's yeah. a thesis <laughs> <laughs> on the two versions of Bruckner Eight. Yes, yeah. Which is absolutely incredible, and I'm uh, smiling here because I just love Bruckner Eight, and I had only conducted the second version okay. until about uh, two years ago. A gentleman who's a professor at Yale and has been since the mid 80s. Uh, his name is Paul Hawkshaw. He's actually from okay. Toronto. Okay. Um, and he's a great Bruckner expert and he has been 12 years studying Bruckner 8's first version and coming up with this new edition. You probably could spend 12 years it, on it. There you go. I mean, <laughs> that's, that's dedication for you, yeah. you know. Um, and finally, he yeah. had a score and parts that were printed. They're not published, but they're, they're printed up so that we could use them mm-hmm. ready for this season, which okay. is what I'd anticipated. And um, so I've actually done several performances of this. I did one at Yale, which was kind of mm-hmm. uh, the natural thing to do. And then I did a couple, three actually, in, in Scotland with the Royal Scottish National Orchestra. Uh, and to Tonight will be our fourth uh, in the last few days. Okay. We did two in Toronto and one in Montreal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, but this doing this first version is absolutely fascinating because what happened to Bruckner, and just to back up a little bit, and, uh, you'll you'll agree about this, I think. Bruckner was a, an incredible talent and a wonderful organist, but a very modest and kind of naive and some people would say unsophisticated person. Mm-hmm. And he had difficulty kind of relating and he certainly had difficulty promoting himself of course he's yeah he's always in the shadow he felt 
Absolutely. Um, And so he was so thrilled to have success with his Seventh Symphony because he actually hadn't written just six. He'd written seven before because the first one's called the Nulta. But the Seventh Symphony, which is an absolute masterpiece, was successfully performed and quite well reviewed. uh, And the conductor was Hermann Levy. So having worked for three years on this Eighth Symphony, he sent the score to Hermann Levy. And I'm sure he was very excited that Levy would be, you know, pleased by the piece and would be interested in performing it. Well, the Eighth Symphony is very different from the Seventh Symphony, and it has it is so modern in character and the first, structure too. It's, it's absolutely incredibly interesting. And um, so Levy wrote back to him a few weeks later, saying, "You know, don't lose your courage, but I cannot perform this piece <laughs> as it exists." Shoot, well, thanks, thanks a lot. Yeah. Um, and and Bruckner was devastated, absolutely course, devastated, yeah. and could do nothing for six months, mm. and then spent three years rewriting the Eighth Symphony. Uh, along with various other pieces he was completely redoing because he was constantly rewriting because he was so insecure about it. But this, I think this first version of the Eighth Symphony actually is the work of a complete master. Mm-hmm. It, is an, it is a masterpiece from beginning to end. So um, the version you're performing is the first ab- original version this, Bruckner intended. Absolutely, okay. it is. And it's almost never been performed right. because there was there is one edition that exists, but it has about 350 mistakes in it. Really? Yeah, okay. all kinds of mistakes. Okay. Um, and so I'm very excited to have sort of discovered this myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll just give a couple of examples. Please, there's, absolutely. There's a, I mean, the, the, the Eighth Symphony that we know it, the second version, the first movement ends with a kind of whimper, a kind of tragic, pathetic, I'm lost to the world whimper, which is exactly what happens in the first version. But then there is a three-minute coda, which is among the most life-affirming moments in music that I know. And you'll you'll mm-hmm. you'll hear this tonight. Mm-hmm. And it, it's just so amazing that he eliminated that completely. I think it, almost to me a sign of insecurity and, mm-hmm. and depression, probably. Um, the trio of the of the second movement. So the second movement is a scherzo and then a, a middle version, which we call the trio. And it is stunningly beautiful. Mm-hmm. It sounds like the best Schubert you could imagine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he eliminated that completely. <laughs> and he, there are all kinds of other things. Now, do you remember the first time you heard the slow movement? Yes, of I do. Oh, it you can never forget mind. it. Blew my mind. I, and I listened to it then twenty times on repeat because it, it was just so so much information. It is staggering. I, I, I had to listen to it for weeks, yeah, and I still and, listen to it. <laughs> and it is. It, you look at it, and it is so simple. Yeah. And you cannot believe how awe-inspiring it is, and and just staggeringly beautiful. And the whole movement is like that. It's thirty yeah, minutes long, of I course, know. in this version. It's so big, and every time that that um, kind of refrain theme returns. It's just so powerful, and every time it's just as powerful and fresh as the first time, and goes in a somewhat new yes. direction oh. as well. Which is, and and by the way, the only movement in which in any symphony of Bruckner he uses harps, and okay. we have we have three, three harps, them. Yeah. three harps mm-hmm. on stage tonight, mm-hmm. so that you can actually hear them. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, it's pretty obvious to everyone that I think this is one That's of the great. most exciting things. Well, you the finale could ever do. too, the way it starts. Um, How heroic! <laughs> uh, uh, yesterday afternoon in Montreal, there were people in the in the, the chorus seats. Yes, of course. And they were actually galloping. Oh, I mean, they were galloping like in that. their seats. Yeah, it is. It's amazing. Yeah. The trumpets and the, and the horns and the is it trombones, trumpets, trombones, horns. absolutely. Yeah. The full yeah. brass. Yeah, uh, let them rip. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> Uh, and of course, it's again, like many uh, um, symphonies by Bruckner. Mm. He uses Wagner Wagner tubas, which are these yep. very small kind of tubas that sound like dark horns, mm. and they have such a wonderful quality about them. And, and he contrasts them from the sounds of horns mm-hmm. so beautifully in the piece. Anyway, it's a it's it's a privilege to it's do an this incredible music. piece. You know, as you talk you talk about Wagner tubas and how much Bruckner admired and looked up to Wagner 
in his career. I, I have a funny story actually that uh, Dr. Robert Bailey told it when I took this course in school and he was apparently, Bruckner as a young man went to visit Wagner and had three symphonies, his first three he'd written. And they had beer, and Wagner had a short amount of time to meet with him and they had beers in Wagner's home. But he was leaving the next day for the summer, to, on his, for his summer home and the family was all leaving. Apparently, they, they kind of got a little inebriated <laughs> while talking about his music. And then at the end, um, Wagner agreed to accept a dedication for one of the symphonies. So he looked over them. And apparently the next day when Bruckner woke up, he couldn't remember which one. <laughs> so he runs back to the home trying to find them, but um, they're all gone. And the gardener's working, apparently. And he's like sitting on the steps, apparently, just absolutely distraught. And... The gardener says, what's wrong? He's like, I can't remember which symphony that Wagner said I could dedicate. And I mean, Dr. Bailey told the story, whether it's true or not, but it's it's an impressive story. Um, and so the gardener was like, well, I don't remember which one you were talking about, but you were talking about Beethoven's uh, great symphony. And he's like, we weren't talking about that. They were talking about, the, he's like, oh, my symphony in D was the one he must have meant, right? So this, the third symphony right. apparently is now dedicated to yeah, Wagner. That, that's yeah. very funny. Anyway, I thought that was kind of interesting. <laughs> Sorry, side note there. Um, so you're also working with Leon Fleischer tonight, right? Yes. What a, what a, what a thrill. Oh my goodness. <laughs> you know, I mean, for me especially, actually, because Leon, oh, first of all, he told me yesterday he made his Canadian debut <laughs> In 1942. No way. <laughs> it's incredible. No. With Pierre Monteux and the Montreal Symphony, he was 14. You're kidding. Yeah. It's <laughs> it's really quite extraordinary. But, um, but you know, Leon Fleischer was a, was a legend already when he was mm. in his 20s, uh, an incredible child prodigy. Mm. Um, what's fascinating about, you know, a lot of times people who, who are so fantastic when they're young, um, it's, it's it's sometimes difficult to put your finger on what it is about them and it's difficult for them to put their finger on what it is about music that inspires them because it was all so instinctive mm -hmm. they can't remember when they learned yeah. anything you know so he's the opposite of course he's the, one of the great teachers and mentors uh, I don't know if you've ever had the good fortune well, of playing for him not but, for playing for him but I would go to his master classes and I would learn so much and I'm not a pianist in fact I'm a horrible pianist <laughs> that's why I play the clarinet but watching his perspectives on chamber music was just quite extraordinary and such such eye-opening information and and the other thing about him uh, which is obviously meaningful to me is that he had to stop playing with his right hand because oh. he had focal dystonia mm -hmm. and although he has worked uh, to improve that over the many years i mean that was when he was in his 30s still really but wow. i also stopped playing the violin because of focal dystonia yeah. when i was in my late 30s so wow. he i met him soon after that and um you know, it's always been very inspiring to be around mm -hmm. him. So having him here uh, as a soloist with this beautiful Mozart concerto, I, I tell you, he makes a sound on the piano that is unlike anybody else's. Yeah. It's quite it's extraordinary. A beautiful sound. Yeah. So, you, I've, of course, you mentioned you played violin for and had an incredible career, and you were the first violinist of the Tokyo String Quartet, right? That's right. Can, can you speak to that? I, I'm amazed at what it would be like to be in a professional quartet. Yeah. The, the, the it's kind of a career. Kind of. Well, I, I graduated from Juilliard. Mm -hmm. We were at the same school, but not mm -hmm. at the same time at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I was already signed by a an agent, uh, an wow. agent called Harold Shaw. And that was, okay. I was, I mean, I was very honored because it was Vladimir Horowitz and, oh, wow. and Nathan Milstein and Dame Janet Baker and Maureen Forrester, the great Whoa, Canadian. Okay. So, you know, so I was, you know, really thrilled to have that. But then I received this request mm -hmm. to, to play with the Tokyo Quartet okay. and then they asked me to join them. So, um, I mean, how can you really not 
do that you know? especially for a violinist who's always loved chamber music and yeah. played a lot of quartets so it was a um, was a very intense 14 years um we came to ottawa the very first summer 1981 really? okay. yeah yeah i remember because i don't know who the the music critic was that was in the days when i still would you know get up the next morning and read my report card <laughs> and um and 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 the music critic here said um a, a quartet cannot possibly have a head transplant it was very funny oh my goodness yeah, yeah, oh. No, really supportive of the, of the canadian guy you know but uh, <laughs> anyway uh, i i lasted yeah <laughs> and it was of course. it was a it was a fantastic experience um and we were very fortunate to to play in the greatest concert halls all over the world, yeah, of course. Um, Beethoven cycles all over the world, and um, and but by 1995, I, I my hand had had it. You know, I just couldn't yeah. couldn't play any longer. Was it was your uh, bow arm or your left, left hand? Left, left hand, hand okay. yeah. Wow. Um, and I'd actually been struggling to to play with accuracy, and I just lost my coordination. Oh. Uh, it's very strange, yeah. and so. Um, but you know, when I was at Juilliard in my second year at Juilliard, now this is back in 1976. Okay. Uh, I was studying conducting as a as a young person a, a little bit, and when I came to Juilliard, I studied conducting as a kind of second study. Yeah. And um, Herbert von Karajan came oh, wow. to uh, to give master classes. <laughs> you met Herbert von Karajan. Yeah. Right. Oh wow. Oh yeah. Cool. Um, <laughs> So the five conducting students, formal conducting students, yeah. were all conducting, and he was giving them classes, and I was concertmaster of the orchestra. Mm -hmm. And um, it was pretty remarkable to be in his presence, actually. I bet. And I can only imagine. Brahms won, so oh. a beautiful solo for the concertmaster. Don yeah. Juan, tricky, but beautiful yes. solo. <laughs> anyway, I was um, obviously trying to play my very best, and he came up to me on the second day, and he said mm. to me, tell me, do you conduct? Oh, yeah. And, I, I mean, I thought... I don't know why he was asking me. I wasn't going to lie. I said, yes. I mean, I, did I mean that I really conduct? No, but I, I said, yeah, anyway. Yeah. So he made me conduct at the end no of the way. day. Yeah. Cool. Uh, How cool is that? That, that was amazing. <laughs> and so I, I, in 1976, I conducted uh, the slow movement of Brahms one mm. three feet from Herbert von Karajan's face and his hands were covering the score, not allowing me to look at it. Isn't that interesting? So, so you just, it was pure music. Absolutely. And uh, it was a very, very inspiring time. And he knew that the players in the orchestra, you know, not to put conducting students down because everyone has to go through that. But, of course. But yeah. for, for us players, when somebody's learning how to conduct and you have to play for them, it's kind of boring, you know, because they're not... Well, they, they, you it's can't a different, be, different thing. Yeah. It's their instrument and that's yeah. the only time they get to play it. Yes. So they, they have to learn in front of their colleagues yes, right yeah, totally. i mean you know yeah. that's just a fact yeah. um whereas i of course hadn't stood up in front of them ever before mm -hmm. so they were more inclined to, to play well for me oh, really? probably <laughs> than they were for oh, the conductor being students. very humble <laughs> <laughs> in any case it, that that was sort of the beginning of my real interest okay. and when i in my late 30s um that always came back to me Okay. That uh, and and I think Karayan's words, who said, you know, you have the hands for a conductor, interesting, were, were, stayed with me. Interesting. So, uh, speaking to that, then after after Tokyo String Quartet and you transition into becoming basically full time conductor, what what was your first gig? Um, lots of little gigs. Yeah. I was very very fortunate also that Frank Solomon, who's a wonderful manager in New York uh, and, and managed uh, Simon Rattle in the U.S. Oh, all, wow. the, all okay. these years, but um, you know he he started the career of Murray Pariah and Peter Serkin and, mm -hmm. and and actually manages Leon Fleischer to this oh, day. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Still Frank um, agreed to to sign me on, and he was wonderful. He got me. Opportunities to conduct, um, to begin with, college orchestras okay. and things, and uh, small things. Uh, but by by my third year, I was already conducting mm -hmm. 
actually I conducted the TSO, uh, the Minnesota Orchestra, and the St. Louis oh, Symphony wow. already by my third year. Jumping. And <laughs> your former music director, who's a very old friend of mine, Pinko Zuckerman. Yes. In fact, he's the reason I came to America. Really? Okay. Yeah, I'll take tell you that story. Oh, if you like. cool. But, I want to hear that. Yeah. Yes. Um, he called me up and said, Peter, you know, I want you to come. You know, I want you to come three times, you know, come come three times a year and have have a good time with the orchestra. It'll be great, you know. And <laughs> I thought, in St. Paul. That's a, no, here. Oh, here, here. here. Oh, okay. Once it started here. Okay, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. it was because 98, 99, when did he right. must have started? You know, it was already all, just it was about then. A total of almost 16 or 17 years, I believe. It was. I think 17. And so yeah. it, anyway, it was his first season. Yeah, okay. He's, he, um, you know, he, so that was very nice. So I got yeah. to... Now, I had known this orchestra because yeah. I toured with this orchestra to okay. the Far East okay. uh, playing a, a Mozart concerto. No way. Yeah. And who was conductor then? Okay, the Italian music director after Mario oh. Bernardi, Franco Manino. Yes. He was the conductor on this on this tour and, and we had the most wonderful time. Garrick Olsen was a soloist and Suyoshi Tsutsumi, okay. the cellist. Um, and we had a great time. But I played with this orchestra many times. Mm-hmm. I played Sibelius with this orchestra oh, back in 1983 and, and I okay. played some chamber music and, and, and so on. So I um, I always loved uh, the people in, mm. in the National Arts Centre Orchestra. Wonderful, wonderful group of very, very friendly and supportive people. Mm. No, it's... it's, it's... Yeah, it's it's a nice city to play in too. I, I've really enjoyed moving here and working here. It's it's fun. So Pinkus Zuckerman had called you. What was the what was the story about? Well, okay, so yeah, when I was um, about, I just I just turned nineteen and mm-hmm. I was studying in London, but I realized that I I wanted to go somewhere else to study, right. and I wanted to go to Salzburg to study with Shandor Weg. Okay, um, and you could not find two more opposite violinists, by the way, than Pinkus Zuckerman and Shandor Weg. Okay, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, anyway. Uh, Pinkus had been like, along with Itzhak Perlman, had been my absolute heroes mm-hmm. when growing up. You know, that's that's the reason I practiced all the mm-hmm. time because I wanted to be able to sound something like them at wow. one at some stage. Um, and and I'd seen him play many times, but he was giving some masterclasses at the Brighton Festival, and somebody cancelled at the last minute. And I got a call about a week before, okay. and they said, you know, would you consider going? But if you want to go, you've got to go. To tomorrow, you've got to go to London to meet Pinkus because he wants to hear you play before he, you know, includes you. Um, okay. Which was very thorough of him, you know. Yeah. But he, he was twenty-seven, by the way. He was twenty-seven. <laughs> yes, oh he goodness. was twenty-seven. I was nineteen. Wow. Um, so, in any case, I went to um, a flat in London, and there he was, and and he was just so kind and charismatic, and and gave me wonderful advice, and said, "Come on down to Brighton." And so I did this series of masterclasses the mm. week later, a couple of days. Um, and then he said to me after, so, so what are you doing? I said, well, I'm planning to go to Salzburg to study. Uh-huh. And he said, Salzburg? Why do you go to Salzburg? Why, come, <laughs> come, come to New York. Come, you know, it's come, I'll look after you. I said, well, I'll look, he's 27, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and, and he's not joking, by the way, at that time. Yeah. I mean, he always has nurtured um, young young players. I know. It's incredible. It's incredible, yeah. actually. He's, yeah. I, I've seen it, yeah. So I said, well, there's a little problem. You know, my father really wants me to go to Salzburg, mm-hmm. you know, because I did German at school and he wants me to be fluent and blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. He said, your father, where's your father? I said, well, he's right over there. And my father was <laughs> a very serious person. Okay. <laughs> um, and, you know, quite inflexible at times. Okay. But um, it took him about two and a half minutes to persuade my father to send me to New York. And that is the truth. And, and that's, that's, that's why I Isn't moved it interesting to New how York? the universe works? <laughs> <Just>. <laughs> how cool is that? What a great story. Yeah. Um, so 
I mean, now, how many years have you been with TSO? Well, it's, it's, uh, I was named in January 2003, and I had okay. a designate year, 3-4, but my, my actual music director st- directorship began in September of 2004. So this is the okay. end of my 14th full okay. season. But, yeah. but many seasons before that you were involved, obviously. It sounds like you were conducting a bit. Uh, just a little bit. Yeah. I did in once in 97 and then I resumed in 2002. I okay. came back actually twice and okay. it was yeah, that was cool. the, that was when they were in a search. Yeah. And uh how about some highlights of, of of symphonies because you're you're a Toronto native, right? Yes. Born in Toronto, yeah. but you, you your education was mostly in England, is that correct? It was. I I left Toronto when I was 5. Wow, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um and so yeah, I, I basically grew up in England and okay. and went to school there and early college there and then mm. moved to New York and but I always had family here. Yeah, um, I think uh, it's really great that a, a Toronto person, native, well, yeah, was yeah. was is principal conductor of the TSO. Well, it's, it's actually great. pretty rare. Yeah, that uh, that anyone is music director of the yeah. orchestra in the city they were born. Yeah, it's incredibly in, rare. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I've been extremely fortunate. Um, but highlights, I don't know. That's you know every. Every concert. Not to put you on the spot. I mean, yeah. There's so much music and so there much There is so much more. music. I, I mean, I've I've loved it. I've only there's only one Mahler symphony that I haven't done, and that's the sixth with with this orchestra. Really? Believe it or not. Yeah. Okay. But um, so probably one day when I come back, because I'm now music director emeritus. Great. Okay. So I think it's an obvious. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of an obvious thing to do right. uh, at some point to come back and do Mahler six. But um, I mean, lots of Bruckner, but obviously all of the standard repertoire. I did a, mm. a Mozart festival every January. Okay. Which which we loved, and you can be so creative with that. But um, the New Creations Festival was a very mm-hmm. exciting thing. We did that every either uh, end of February, March, somewhere somewhere okay. in that area. Every single year, we did three huge programs of okay. of, uh, of music entirely by contemporary composers. Excellent. And awesome. we invited. I mean, the first year we had Henri Dutilleux uh, in Toronto with us, wow. and uh, um, John Adams has been there a couple mm-hmm. of times, and and many many great composers, and and that's been really exciting because. You know how it is. People mm-hmm. people are a little bit afraid of coming to, to concerts where all the composers are living. Yeah. And um, what was that old thing that used to say, the great, the most important qualification for a composer uh, is that he be dead. Oh, right. You know, right? <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> so in, in any case, um, 14 years of, of really developing audiences and mm-hmm. a lot of curiosity, a lot of premieres and commissions and so on. And um, I, I really very much enjoyed that. That's 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 fantastic because that's a real legacy you know investing exactly. in, in in new music investing in the, the music that people hear in the audience that you said you were developing that's exactly and I, important I think, for the future know, of what we do i remember one of my one of my mentors uh once said to me he was somebody who played in the la, la salle string mm-hmm. quartet and they played a lot of contemporary music he said you know it's very important for all kinds of reasons among them is that when you learn a, a modern contemporary score which you didn't know before, you have a very different approach to, to learning pieces that already exist, even I pieces agree. that you've already played. And it, it, it does make you look afresh at things. Yeah, I, 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 I love that you said that. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, most of my career before moving into this, moving to Ottawa was playing only contemporary music in, in the freelance scene in New York. That's how I did bread and butter. <laughs> wow, fantastic. But, but that was that's what I love to do, and I still love to do. Yeah. Um, so now that... Um, you know, you've got you've got a couple of big other symphonies coming up, and your uh, conductor emeritus. But what other things are on the horizon for you? Are you still with uh, Royal Scottish? I'm still with the Royal Scottish National yep. Orchestra until September, when okay. I conduct the Britain War Requiem at the <laughs> Proms. Wow! Which is very exciting because the Wilfred Owen poems that uh, that inspired that piece mm-hmm. um, were written a hundred years 
earlier at the end mm. of the First World War, and we'll have about 400 people, both the Huddersfield Chorus and the RSNO Chorus oh, and the RSNO wow. Junior Chorus and the two orchestras, of course, for that piece. What a treat. And that is a treat, and it's also very special for me because when I was a kid, I was very lucky, and I recorded with under Benjamin Britten as wow. a singer. Wow. Uh, as a, so, wow. Uh, yeah. So when I was like 10 and 11, uh, my school choir was, he was using them to, re- like Midsummer Night's Dream yeah. recording. Really? Oh, my goodness. Um, and so so it, it, this is very meaningful for me. But then I'm, I'm also leaving the RSNO. I decided to just have a clean break mm-hmm. and look at things afresh and, you know, pick up on relationships that I had prior mm-hmm. uh, and travel around the world a little bit and do Fantastic. some interesting things as you know just lot, I won't bore you with a list of things like, no <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but um, you know I'm actually like I'm even been invited to do Marla 9 with St. Louis oh, next season which is a fantastic. very nice thing because most of the time Marla 9 is exclusively a music director's piece so it's very right. nice okay, of them okay very cool yeah yeah. Very cool. And uh, you're still teaching at Yale, is that correct? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah since 1981. Wow. Yeah. What's that I, like commuting back and forth, Toronto and? Well, you see, my home home yeah. is about 40 minutes from Yale. It's in okay. Western okay. Connecticut. Okay. Yeah. okay. Got it. So okay. Uh, I've lived in Toronto, but not as a resident okay. actually in all these last years. Mm-hmm. I had a home there, but our principal home was down in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. So it's it's actually been a very, very important relationship for me. And I only started because I joined the Tokyo Quartet and therefore I had to teach. Yes. Um, But then when I stopped playing the violin in the quartet, I taught violin for a while and then I gradually started to conduct and did a lot of chamber music coaching. And then in the the last two years, I took over the Philharmonia Orchestra there. At Yale. At Yale, because they now rehearse like a professional orchestra. They just do it all in a week. Which is actually what Juilliard is starting to do. You know, that's the, it's great. It's so great to see that because sc- schools can't, you know, we need, we need students to learn how to learn music within the time frame of a real professional setting instead of exactly. a program over a month. <laughs> Preci- oh, the I mean, real world gonna, doesn't allow you to no do that. No one's going to prepare anything. <laughs> None of us practiced when it was three weeks before the concert. I mean, you know, but, but, but when it's four days before the concert yeah. and that's when you start, yeah. Yeah, you probably come in a little bit. Pre- yeah. And the other thing about it is, of course, uh, when I'm, I conduct three or four concerts a year there. Okay, cool. But when I'm not there, I can invite uh, colleagues of mine in the profession. So they're getting to real... David Robertson uh, went and uh, Marin Alsop went this uh, year. You know, so... Fantastic. Uh, yeah. They're getting real-life real, real life experience with guest conductors as well. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Bravo. Hey, this is this is fantastic. Thanks for doing this. Sure. I feel like I could talk to you for hours. It's been such a treat talking to you and thanks for making the time to come in and be on our podcast series and talk about your amazing career. It's Great really pleasure. pleasure. Great pleasure, Sean. Thanks so much. Thank you. This has been a National Arts Centre podcast produced in Ottawa by NAC New Media. Send us your comments and questions. Email us at nacpodcasts at gmail.com. Visit the podcast section of the iTunes store where you can rate and comment on this podcast. We love to hear from you. Remember, you can find more great NEC podcasts at necpodcast.ca or search on National Arts Centre on iTunes and subscribe for free. Until next time, goodbye from Canada's National Arts Centre.